You're listening to The Playtyper Guy. I'm Stephen Robinson, or The Playtyper Guy, as my son calls me. Uh, joining me today is Laura Bogart, uh, author of the book, Don't You Know I Love You? Uh, and her work has appeared in LitHub, The Atlantic, The Guardian, and Salon, among other places. Um, you can follow her at, at LD Bogart at all the places, um, even the place formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> You'd written a really amazing uh, piece for Day Magazine about the Barbie movie, your personal connection both with Barbie, mm-hmm. the idea, the, the toys, and this film specifically. Um, so I think the best way to start is just... Let us kind of, if you can tell us some of your thoughts about the film and what your your piece itself and, and what that journey was like. Well, thank you for having me, Stephen. I really appreciate it. And I'm very happy to come on and talk about Barbie. Um, I got to see it at a like big pink party um, the Thursday before it was out wide on July 21st. And, um, you know, the first thing that I noticed about it was just the warmth and the vibe and the good energy of everyone wearing pink. And it was this sort of communal experience among women, queer people. Um, And I think that that is very much reflected in the fact that the movie is doing so well. Um, It had a monumental opening. Um, It's having another like blockbuster weekend because I think that there really is a hunger for this type of storytelling which is like very accessible which i love about the movie the messages are very accessible they're easy for anyone and everyone to understand um but there's a real warmth and depth and intimacy and vulnerability there um i saw someone on tiktok describe the experience of watching a greta gerwig movie as being like Greta Gerwig kind of takes your heart out of your chest and dusts it off for you and gives it back to you. And that is very much what this movie does, I think. Um, And I know that obviously there's been sort of a a backlash to it um, on sort of all ends of the political spectrum. Obviously, Ben Shapiro is off burning Barbie dolls and and having a (laughs) nitpick. He's just Ben. Uh, Um, and that is to be expected because even sort of the most basic mention of women having interiority and, you know, a a big piece of blockbuster filmmaking not being oriented around the male experiences is just too much for their brains to handle. Um, and then there is also sort of a backlash among people, I think, who want the movie to do all things for all people and who want it to reflect sort of the totality of women's experiences. And they sort of critique it as being like a 101. And I never found that to be a problem because, again, it is a mass marketed piece of blockbuster entertainment. I think having these messages in a very broad and, like I said, accessible way is not a bad thing um, because clearly when we look at the state of the world, these messages are needed. And, you know, the movie sort of came to me um, at a at a very a time of personal transition in my own life. Um, and that's what I wrote about for Dame Magazine, where um I recently, at the age of 41, had sort of an epiphany of my own life, and I realized, um, 
you know, after signs that were both subtle and not so subtle to me and, and to the people around me that I am actually like a gay woman that's, um, and that was, you know, it was a monumental, it's very transformative. Um, and so I was really looking into things like, um, compulsory heterosexuality and, you know, exploring pieces of queer community and, when the Barbie movie was being released, even down to like the marketing and the trailers and everything, there was a big kind of excitement about the movie. Um, and I think it was sort of encapsulated in one moment in the trailer that like kind of helped it go viral and um, was also like very, like a big kind of crowd pleasing humor moment in the film. And that's when, you know, Ryan Gosling's Ken like comes forward and he's like, hey, I was thinking I was gonna, you know, stay over tonight. And she looks at him like very earnestly and is like, well, to do what? And he's like, I'm actually not sure. And so the idea that like Gerwig was going to play with this idea, well, it's Barbie and Ken, right? Like, like heteronormativity is baked into, or so I thought, baked into the Barbie allure, right? The stereotypically beautiful, um, like femme presenting woman who has the hunky boyfriend and the, the great job and everything. And it felt very inaccessible to me, even as a younger woman. And so, I mean, I, I was going into it because I was excited about Greta Gerwig and I have always loved Margot Robbie's work. Um, I've always found her to be re really interesting. Um, I, Tanya is a masterful performance. She does a lot of good stuff. And so I, when I went in to see the movie, what I really saw in this, and I'm certainly not alone in this, um, is that Barbie's journey throughout the movie, and I don't know how spoilery it's okay for me to get here. But everyone in the world has seen this film. <laughs> Please go for it, yeah. Barbie's journey is like really one of like moving into authenticity, even if it's painful, even if it's hard. And it does not end with her getting with Ken. It does not end with her in any type of romantic attachment or even interested in having one. And um, in the essay, I talk very much about this idea that like, I mean, look, Barbie, There, there's queer coding in the movie that is very overt, like Kate McKinnon's character. Um, that's very clear. Um, there's a lot of, um, she's like in the splits, which is like clearly kind of a reference to things that people do with their Barbies, right? Um, and I, there's a big swath of, of people, non-binary folks and trans folks who like really responded to Alan, um, Michael Sarah's character, Alan. Um, also a lot of gay men responded very much to Alan, um, but I was really surprised at how much of Barbie's sort of journey out of like, I have this life. It feels very routine. It works for me until it sort of doesn't. And I'm aware of something that I can't put back in the box. And they literally try to put her back in the box in the movie and she resists it. And in her instance, it was sort of these thoughts of dying, of mortality, of the world beyond the world that she's living in. And for me, it was sort of this awareness that like everything I had been told about the things that I should want in life did not align with where my actual desires were. 
Um, you know, I was not interested in dating boys in the same way that um, friends of mine were. I did not experience desire for men in that same way. I admired men as people, um, but I never had that sort of added extra layer to it. And I, you know, for a time wondered if I might be asexual. Um, and it is also worth noting, there's a really good piece by a writer named Scarlett Harris, who talks about Barbie, you know, having a place, this, this depiction of Barbie, um, really being important to the aromantic asexual community. But in, as time went on, you know, my awareness became, oh, no, actually you do have desire. It's just, it is for, you know, for other women. And so, I was not expecting to see like a genuinely subversive kind of move away from patriarchal structures that does not involve going back to any sort of conventional blonde, what is it, blonde perfection, um, you know, male, female, you know, a cake topper sort of thing. And I found the movie really resonant as I think about my own sort of movement away from, you know, compulsory heterosexuality into this life that I have now. Um, and so um, I think that it is those sort of like intimate emotional undercurrents of the movie, which also touches on motherhood, womanhood, sort of the impossible contradictions of it. And I think that's why a lot of people are taking things from it, but definitely folks in the queer community. And um, what you were saying earlier about Barbie's journey, I mean, um, one of the critics at New Rockstars, um, the channel likes to say that every movie is either Citizen Kane or The Wizard of Oz. And Barbie is sort of, in certain ways, both. Like Ken's yeah. journey has that sense of, I need to be loved to have value and everyone needs to love me and realizing not to do that while well, Barbie goes in the world. And of course it works. I mean, all of these things are just, if you're someone who, grows up loving movies and loving stories, how well Greta Gerwig tells the story, the little things, even again, put in the box, here's a joke, but actually that is a choice that this character is making at a specific point that leads her down, like you're watching this and oh, wow, this is great. And how the idea that every good story, the person wants something that's a lie. So yes. then they realize, no, no, the lie I want, because if it's just, I want to grab the grab the MacGuffin and that's it, then there's no growth. If his idea is like, I get this and I'll be happy, but I realize that's actually not what's going to make me happy. There's a chance of growth. And so Barbie's leaving to get back to her status quo. And she mm -hmm. realizes that's actually not what I want. And so, but, you know, the idea what's amused me when people like Shapiro and others, you know, experts on Barbie, because oh, that's the whole thing. It's like, look, these guys, I think someone had joked of like, well, when they make a Barbie movie, at least I won't have to hear about, hear from 40 something uh, white men about how their childhoods have been taken away, like with the, you know, with Ghostbusters and with the uh, um, Star Wars. And suddenly it's like, oh my God, this is Barbie. Like, really? Where you play, like, is there some sort of th what you think has been taken from you? But the idea that essentially, I think what they're reacting to is Barbie is this sort of, sense of traditionalism in the world mm -hmm. and how dare frankly people like us specifically people like you take yeah. go after that traditionalism and that's what they're offended by yet 
you know, this is a film about Barbie. So like when even when it's opening, that sort of the history that I didn't obviously know about until I hit that it hit me. Oh, of course. Like, yeah, like playing with Barbie dolls is modeling motherhood and shifting to Barbie is sort of imagining you're cool. It's like when shows like, you know, first uh, that girl to friends, the idea of like being in your twenties and young and doing stuff like in, and that was Barbie's world. It wasn't, she wasn't a mother. She had a car, she had her money, she had her own stuff. And you can talk critiques about consumerism and capitalism, but just within our world, that was cool. That was what, you know, young girls were modeling after and which the whole examination of Ken and there's some people from both sides. Feminists are like, well, why is Ken in there? Why do you have to have, you know, villain, he's still in the show from Barbie, which I don't think. I think Margaret mm-hmm. Robbie's brilliant in it. But mm-hmm. also, I'm kinda, I was kind of like, well, not to mansplain, but Heath Ledger kind of, like, he, you know, like villains, the a bad guy, or my love yep. of every Disney movie. Mm-hmm. That's what makes a great hero is their struggle. If it's just someone kind of like, if there is no obstacle and the personification yeah. of those obstacles is kind of boring. Yeah. And... But also, it's not out of any. You know, Ken is the ultimate accessory, right? Like, yes, and Ken, yes. we're telling girl, like, okay, well, you need to buy this because, okay, well, the, you're gonna have to have a boyfriend. They're not married. This is in the '60s, so at the time, the implication, of course, going back to that scene you mentioned uh, about him wanting to go to spend the night with her, the implication: they're not married. They're not having sex. Mm-hmm. This is the '50s or '60s. So Ken is many ways the ultimate to use a terrible um, okay. MRA term, a cuck. He's like in all the jokes about Ken not having mm-hmm. uh, private parts or whatever leads to that because the implication is he's with Barbie, but not really with Barbie, mm-hmm. right? And so I found like Greta, Greta Gerwig is very deliberately exploring all that. And it's so cool of like, yeah, what is the purpose of Ken? Because girls never really... Why, you know, if you're like the the target age of a girl first starting to play with that, you know, even beyond your sexuality, were you really that interested in Ken no. unless you were being told to, right? Yep. Um, and so Barbie is kind of like Barbie world is truly the world of like girls wanting to play and enjoy themselves and do stuff. And, you know, growing up in media where that was, I was told that it's only men who have friends and the, you know, the women are just the friends of, or the spouses of the men and they become friends, but they're not their own thing. But here's the community of women who are friends and supportive of each other. And it's really cool. And it's the men who fit every, for someone who loves watching soap operas and mm-hmm. Melrose Place every night, like growing up watching these soap, these beats, it's the Kins who do all of that. The Kins who's like, you know, the bad, like the bad girl, uh, the rival, I'm going to take down the queen bee. And then he's jealous and he's got the, the sycophant who loves him. And then like they're, and they're all after the attention of the one dreamy blonde yeah. was often that was the women right like that was mm-hmm. how women were depicted in so many movies and shows and that's such a such a cool subversion i think it is and even like there's i love the like rivalry between ryan gosling's ken and 
Simu Liu's Ken, mm-hmm. like just that they're like so bitchy and catty <laughs> with each other. And it is. I mean, when you were saying about like Melrose Place, I was like, that's that's the dynamic that she's going for. But like, yeah, I mean, the way that the Kens, I mean, and it's very overt, the way that the Kens are treated in Barbie Land is analogous to the way that the women are treated in the real world. And Greta Gerwig is also like, yeah, she milks humor from that, but she's also not saying it's right. Like mm-hmm. she, like Ken very pointedly gets that line to Barbie where, you know, he, she's come back, he's taken over and turned it into the Mojo Dojo Casa house. <laughs> we just like talk for a minute about like when Ryan Gosling is singing the, um, the Matchbox 20 song, like his yes. very specific intonation of the word, the rant ad. But also, but anyway, he gets that very pointed line where he's like, yeah, it doesn't feel good being an accessory now, does it? And the movie is also speaking to the kid. Like, yeah, he is, he is like the antagonist and you're right. Like at a certain point, it's like, if you want to have like dynamic storytelling, you do need a nemesis. You do need an obstacle that is overcome. And, you know, Barbie has it on two fronts, right? Where she has her own psyche and her own awareness and her own, you know, but also like, this is a movie about gender. This is a movie about gender, gender dynamics. And you kind of can't get away from talking about the role of men in that. Um, even if it's not necessarily from a, like, a heteronormative standpoint, it's like women and men still inhabit, and all, I mean, all, all genders inhabit the world together. And so if you're going to talk about gender, you do have to talk about men. And... The movie, I think, I mean, look, we all make jokes about Knuff and everyone wants that sweatshirt, but, you know, Ken sort of doesn't really have anybody really animating him. He doesn't have his own inner world um, in the way that Barbie sort of starts to, the other Barbies do. Like, you know, there's Dr. Barbie, Lawyer Barbie, like, they and they have their own jobs. They have their own his job is just beach. Like, <laughs> his job is literally just beach. And that's kind of what they all do. And it's kind of about what happens when men are not encouraged to cultivate any interiority, right? Um, he then becomes fixated on like Barbie. He becomes fixated on like, you know, being in charge. He becomes fixated on horses, which is great. Um, Sylvester Stallone, um, also great. And it's only when someone had, when she says to him, like, look, this is never going to happen between us, but also like, do you even like being in charge of everything? And he's like, no. And the, it, what's so funny is it's like, they both kind of like go off on these like parallel missions where it's like, hers is obviously very poignant and, and moving and his is kind of more comical, but he's also like, okay, well, who am I now if I'm free mm-hmm. from this? So I think the movie definitely does not absolve men, right? But I don't think it's like man-hating or unfair to men. It is also about like, hey guys, like you get to have a life beyond just being 
you know, performative with each other or having the right house or having the right car, or having the right girl. Like you got to go out and find out who you are too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Gerwig obviously is a feminist, but she's also, a, I would say a liberal in the sense of yeah, things are complicated. Every, no one is all bad. Like that's a no. form of liberalism. So I would think and some of the backlash of like, that she's, I, that I'd seen from certain gatekeepers that, well, she made a non-feminist work because she cared too much about Ken, but it's like, but, you know, again, I can't speak to this, but I would imagine writing about race without acknowledging how race impacts white people or whatever, not to say I'm centering it, but Mm -hmm. this is a solution that involves everybody, right? Because I can't, I'm not going to defeat, I'm not going to suddenly make every white person go away. No, right? no. It's similar of like if you if there's in the film you can't make all men go away, and a sense of how and so, in a sense of coming to a, and that ending was better than I guess maybe someone wanted this classic Disney villain death where Barbie yeah. literally tosses Ken off a you know and and vanquishes them as opposed to but the idea that she would that you would sort of dismiss Gerwig for having Barbie empathize with Ken and mm-hmm. even realize she had made errors along the way is asking to me for more simplistic work. And yes. that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I really, it felt like one of those things of, are you really serious when I was seeing the Shapiro, the Shapiro stuff? Because a lot of these guys, they're seeing a film as like, well, this, this is you. Like Ken mm-hmm. is someone who felt in inferior in this world or mm-hmm. not quite sure why he wasn't succeeding in this world. He comes mm-hmm. into the real world. He is quote unquote red pilled to use a mm-hmm. term that they, the men's rights t- type said co-opted and he comes back and dominates, which is what they're saying. If you follow these, cause that's what they say we should want. That it what has driven certain politics and arguably got Trump in office is the idea that we will go back and reclaim everything and the, if you listen to a lot of those guys barbie land is what they think the world is they think yes overtly yes. feminized men are chumps and only the real men need to assert their dominance and so mm-hmm. is showing that often people don't like seeing themselves revealed i think that's usually what yes. um kind of pisses them off but I, I was so impressed by that when I was watching because I felt like it's pretty deft satire of like oh what like he's to the point and she's such a great person of like t- these easter eggs or allusions to classic cinema both in yes. movie musicals which I love but specifically when uh Gosling's Ken is dressed and I would allude to as the final look of Tyler Durden and yes, yes, like that yes. to me is totally intentional. And that was this whole film Absolutely. was about we live in this feminized society and real men need to dominate. Um, and what's interesting is even in Fight Club um, or American Beauty, another film where again, where even more overtly a woman was the form of the oppressive form. Like, oh no, we've been overly in those films. Mm-hmm the man cannot escape without feeling like some need to dominate another woman. So you know, mm-hmm. he has to have either through sex or whatever, has to dominate another woman rather than just live a different life. And Barbie doesn't do that. She just no. does her own thing. She doesn't feel a need to 
restore the patriarchy and then pick a better kin to then date or marry or something. It is totally um, her own thing, which is, you know, so cool. I'd um, written my own sort of spoof of what I felt guys had wanted to see the film as. I was thinking of what this film might have been like in the 90s, and I just imagined oh Richard Gere as this executive oh who's, you know, working with, like, either Demi Moore or Catherine Keener, like, the executive who... It's a man-hating feminist who hates Barbie for all those reasons. And mm-hmm. Barbie comes to the real world and falls in love with Gear, of course. And then mm-hmm. Gear makes a passionate speech about Barbie. And mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, somehow this melts the heart of uh, the... The, the man-hating. The man. Yes. And she finally... She sees the good like, in him. Oh, yeah. And she sees the good in Barbie oh. and everything. But like this isn't this film. This is totally about it's centering women. It's about the journey, yes. and it doesn't need it. She doesn't need to end up with anyone at the end, which I is just that. incredibly. That's so rare. Like usually, whenever someone sees, I'm sure producers see a script. That's not an easy thing to do. They kind of look. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever seen the film Bowfinger. Um, it's a Steve uh, Martin movie from 1990. It's one of my I favorites. Haven't. I highly recommend it because what I often quote it because I've seen a, Rob, a, Rob, a pre-Iron Man, Robert Johnny Jr. is a sort of really out there studio executive and he gets the script. He gets the script. He opens it. Starts okay. Then there's all this. Ends good. And it's just like, you know, this oh, idea of dismissing everything. And then there's all this. <laughs> and um, kind of like, that's, that's sort of the idea of script because I'm like, in often cases of the, okay, well, where's the ending? And that ending needs to be mm-hmm. the woman with the man. If she's not with the man, what's ha- what's going on here? What happened? Oh, and yeah. uh, and the fact that um, and that would have been the Gloria character. Obviously, that would have been a man who. Oh uh, yeah. You know, so the fact that that's not in this America, you know, Ferrara who has this, who's amazing, and also has a great relationship. Um as a woman of color with Barbie and she's seen playing with Barbie Uh, the whole concept of weird Barbie, which also is my understanding is something all young girls, most young girls have done of like playing with the bar, sort of defying the perfection, right? Like I'm going to draw on her. I'm going to do, I'm going to cut her hair. Because that's part of the modeling as well, right? I'm going to be weird and quirky. Mm-hmm. So everyone wants to be, right? Well, yeah. And that weird bar- weird Barbie is like, oh, yeah. I mean, weird Barbie is, is played by Kate McKinnon, who is, like, out and proud. And she also gets, like, one of the great, like, line readings of the film. Like, so America Ferreira's like, oh, like, I had a weird Barbie, too. And Kate McKinnon goes, yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> mind being made weird. And this is like to to speak to your point about the ending too, is it's like, you know, Barbie land initially seems like this profound, like utopia um, where everything is great. And Gerwig also goes, yeah, but even though this is a place where women are running things, there are still elements of it that are problematic. And she says like, cause like weird Barbie is like on the outside, nobody, you know, comes to see her unless they have a problem or, and Issa, which like I love Issa Rae, who also gets another phenomenal line reading for the end of the movie. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm gonna say. Yeah. When come back, like our Mojo Dojo Casa houses just got dreamier, and then 
Issa Rae comes down the stairs and she's like, that's because they're dream houses. And then they believe what she's saying. But she goes to like weird Barbie and is like, we're sorry that we called you weird. And we're sorry that we like ostracized you from our community for like not being perfect for like kind of being a reminder um, that not everyone's going to kind of, and it is a very inclusive Barbie world. Like I will say, like I was very happy to see like a plus size Barbie. I was had, there's um, a, a Barbie with, um, there's an amputee. There's a, a, a content creator who's an amputee who's in the movie and shared um, stuff about being behind the scenes of it. Um, there is a transgender woman as Dr. Barbie. And she also gets a wonderful line reading where Ken's like, my job is just beach. And she's like, and what a wonderful job. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, she's, the, she's Harry Neff is the actor. And yeah. Harry Neff. Awesome. She's great. And, um, um, but it's, but it's even still, there's room for improvement in Barbie land and they acknowledge that. But to your point about the ending too, they have a, um, like the executive who's played by Will Ferrell, like at the end, he kind of comes, he, they, they, they mail, like if I have one kind like they were there, there's this plot where she like encounters like the male executives behind Mattel. And it's this kind of meta thing, right. We're like almost like a Truman show type thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, like Will Ferrell's a little bit too broad for me in it. Um, and he's so kind of like, like fluffy in a way that there's no like real actual like menace to that character in a way that I think there might have been maybe if we had gotten like Chris Pine and his like don't worry darling mm-hmm. kind of era that yeah. might be my one note but I it, I still no, think yeah. the movie is phenomenal um, that's her I mean I think they, it was always intentional to get someone like Will uh, Farrow but I agree with you it was one of those things of where almost like the the sobriety of Morgan Freeman doing something absurd. That's my own personal kind of yep. comedic sense, but it's a sort of like, that's the stuff. So I don't know if you've ever seen the X-Files, where if you had the guy who played yes. Skinner being ridiculous, but like still mm-hmm. having that thing to me is often funnier because Will yes. Ferrell is just absurd, right? So I, and I like Will Ferrell, but because he's too. so absurd, it makes it a cartoon as opposed to the idea of like, um, I think Paul Newman and the Hudsucker Proxy is that example because he's Paul Newman. Yes. He's saying stuff that's just kind of ridiculous and you just, mm-hmm. it, it, it blows you, you know, so, um, or Tom yeah. Hanks, if you could get that casting coup because the idea of like the ultimate nice guy who's nice or whatever yeah. and, and playing against that. But yeah, it's, um, I, I definitely agree with you there, but it's mm-hmm. you know, so funny. One thing I want to ask you about because it's one of those, I think the, the issues of debate about the film more in the sense of, so who is animating the Kins? Because the concept is that being played with is what's influencing you in that world. So are, is the, is the implication is is that the Kins are an extension of little girls playing with them or maybe ignoring them or, or is it just something we don't think about but it's something that, you know, it's impossible not to start thinking about given how it was presented of like, who is animating the Kins? That's a really good question. And I think, and it's, it's very telling the fact that I literally did not wonder that until you asked it. I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> like, But I think, you know, 
to one of the points that we brought up earlier, I think the fact that like, you know, Barbie has these girls who are clearly animating her through their own emotions and desires and Ken's really don't have that. They are Mm -hmm. all wholly adjacent um, to their Barbies. I think it is this thing that happens culturally where, I mean, I am not a man, obviously, so you can tell me if I'm kind of off, but my observations of the way boys are socialized and the way men are socialized is to have passion and interest in things that are sort of not even like kind of a like socially prescribed thing, right? It's very telling. It's like the Kens all are like, well, we like karate, we like horses, we like um, Sylvester Stallone and his in his coat we like fight club we like whatever but even then they don't really have their own distinct personalities like like you know there's alexander ship is the writer barbie um harry nath is the doctor barbie like there's none of that differentiation among the kens so i feel like sometimes like women are very much encouraged to form these deep bonds with each other and you know, to talk about sometimes their inner worlds with each other and bond. And men sort of don't seem to have that. Men don't seem like they're really encouraged to like build relationships. I mean, it's literally, I mean, literally to the point where like, you know, you're far better versed in Marvel than I am, but like literally you have a friendship between two men and like Captain America and, and Bucky And the assumption is immediately, oh, well, if it's two men who are close to each other, they must be gay. Mm -hmm. Um, And as opposed to like, no, these are just two men who have like an emotional intimacy and care about each other. Like, and so I don't think men are fully socialized to have that. And I think that like the fact that like Ken so willingly turns to all these external things to get his validation that it's not coming from sort of like an animus of the soul in the way it is with the women is maybe speaking to that like she might oh, yeah. be yeah because like noah bombach also co-wrote this with her so like a you know yeah, yeah it definitely you know is that way i mean there's a character just like and kin's most likely being forced upon little girls it's like yes mm-hmm. I, I guess i, guess I, to, I yeah. don't really want to I don't want this. I just want the dream house and do my own thing or whatever. That's my true fantasy. And all right. And I don't know where they live. I don't care. I haven't really put that much thought into them. Um, makes a, uh, a lot of sense. And it's just sort of fascinating in that, in that aspect of the imagination and the world or what we think of um, the queer coding is, you know, obviously the Indigo girls is an anthem. It's pretty, <laughs> again, used to be one of those things of like some studio exec either didn't know or like is it's a much better studio but it's so often in in, mm-hmm. in the movies my understanding is something you get something by someone by someone just totally didn't get hey, it's oh. a catchy song like we it, yep. oh, you know. yeah and it's um, a song like it's you know <laughs> and and it's and it's look like the signifiers of of queerness in that movie i mean like obviously um like the pink heel and the Birkenstock and the way she, the queer Barbie presents, weird Barbie <laughs> presents stereotypical Barbie with um, a high heel or a Birkenstock. And it's itself an allusion to the matrix, which is itself 
a trans allegory. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, is this maybe Mattel and Warner Brothers indulging in a bit of like rainbow capitalism? Maybe, but it worked on me. <laughs> yeah, or maybe it's sort of this is a funny. It's sort of the ultimate sense of trenchant. Even going back to Rod Serling, his saying the idea that you can in the late 50s, early 60s, he can write about race by using aliens, but he, he could never do it overtly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is one of the, maybe kind of in that sense of this is a way of the really do some of the really deep kind of queer stuff and without actually, um, I, you know, I, as someone, I'm a big fan of the book, The the celluloid closet and a documentary mm-hmm. from back in the day. It was it released when I was in college and just, mm-hmm. you know, I would never say it's a good thing that queer people had to be in a closet or had to live of that course. kind of life. That's not cool. But the art mm-hmm. that emerged of how you communicate things in different ways so that films read something almost on a different level creates mm-hmm. a sort of, inadvertent depth so like sort of in a certain ways heteronormative films lack that depth because yes like oh you and me are a couple and our our tension is because it's we're can't be together or something as opposed mm-hmm. to a more queer coded film of where the two women who are both teachers at something and there's tension and whatever it's all yeah. coded and it's a different layer to it than what folks are can be shown. And I've always enjoyed that. I mean, especially like, you know, as you say, weird Barbie, how much of that is queer to the point where when the patriarchy comes, the fashion choice of uh, weird Barbie suddenly shifts to, I think as, as a, uh, a woman has said it online, a sort of lesbian uh, fight club Barbie, like she's the way she's dressed, uh, is much more coded in that way, other than mm-hmm. just being simply weird. And so, certain things are so subtle, yep. but there. And it's just um, great. You know, uh, going back to the piece you wrote, you mm-hmm. talked a lot about your experience with kind of, again, those lines of where you're kind of going after, I hate to say scraps, right? But it's like maybe um, Xena. Mm-hmm. And are in lo- is in love with her friend, maybe mm-hmm. you know, and then maybe there's Willow is kind of yeah. gay. I mean, there she literally was later on, but but what happens and, to her girlfriend? Famously, yes, and you know, and and so much of that is uh, you know not to go it. yes not to go into the Josh <laughs> Whedonness of it, but it was sort of it's and also fascinating because there's a lot of bisexual racer, so it was a lot of her yes. saying. Oh, I never had feelings for Oz or Xander, and I was like, and it's but not I like you kind of. I think you kind of did. It seems like I don't bisexuals exist, and based on the text of Buffy, Willow is bisexual, no matter what Whedon says, because I don't get the impression that she is feels forced or influenced to like no. like Oz or or like like Xander or anything. Arguably, I would argue there's a queerer argument for Xander especially like how he sabotages relationships when they get too close to mm-hmm. fulfillment, when he sort of goes out to sort of idealize figures. So there's the beautiful woman who's obviously in love with him, but, mm-hmm. oh, I want Buffy kind of understanding that's never mm-hmm. going to happen. So that saves him um, is sort mm-hmm. of kind of coded to 
in certain ways more so than um, than Willow in those those years. And but now I think a lot of shows it's you know the the Supergirl show there was queerness right there, mm-hmm. um, but obviously pulling it back. So uh, I don't know if you watched how much have you watched that show, but the idea of mm-hmm. a lot of friends that they they felt like there was a relate between Supergirl and the Lena Luther character, but that was never fulfilled. But it was right there. But then on the other point, it goes to what you were saying. Maybe it is just, maybe it can just be a really close, intimate friendship. Maybe that's the closest thing two people can have. And it doesn't have to be, it can be tricky because it's sort of like, well, we don't want to bury queerness, but at the same time, any kind of close relationship doesn't necessarily mean it has to be queer. What is your thought on that? Yeah. Well, and it's funny because when you're talking Buffy, I mean, I think to me the biggest one that was left unexplored was Faith. Um, mm-hmm. Really, um, that and that's. But I mean, I, I guess to my earlier point where I was talking about some of the stuff with Marvel, it's like we are so used to getting no representation that we, like as you say go hunting for scraps and so okay here's two men who are very close to each other they must be gay as opposed to let us have an actual queer superhero actual gay superhero let us not keep going and hunting for scraps like let captain marvel be gay (laughs) it's like you it's there let Mm -hmm. let it let it be let it be textual um people can handle it um i hope but like but like that's what i'm talking about i think where it's like and that's sort of like the subversive power of barbie here where it's like barbie can be queer in any way you want barbie to be queer i can look at barbie as a gay woman and go okay she's rejecting compat she senses that there's something out there for her we don't know what's going to happen in the sequel um, if there is one, I kind of hope there's not, I hope that we just mm. allow this to be kind of a great movie and be done. Um, <laughs> but that never happened. That's yeah. why we're getting Willy Wonka, which well, is why, someone in, why, why? Someone, in, someone in Hollywood is like, <gasps> Laura, how dare you? Like, I know. I'm like, literally, and I don't dislike Timothy Chalamet. He is very pretty, but I'm just like, why? Why are we doing this? Nicholas Holt is right there. Anyway, um, but but my my point is, it's like, so I can look at this and go, okay, I see this part of it in my own personal journey, and my own personal journey kind of has led me to be like, you know, I love the term sapphic. I think it's great. People who are aromantic or asexual. Um, who get no representation, none. I mean, like, I think even, you know, before we started recording, we're talking about Jughead and Riverdale um, and Cole Sprouse even famously said, I would totally play this. I would totally play an ace character and nothing. There's nothing. And so they look at this and go, oh, here is a blonde woman who looks like Margot Robbie um and could be with it really pretty much be with anyone she wants to and does not want to be with anyone and is not in her makeup um so you but you can be on any level and there's a lot of excuse me queer responses on tiktok that are very moving and there's people talking about that there's people talking about alan 
um, that there's many, this movie sort of by keeping itself open um, can speak to a lot of people and by keeping itself sort of broadly accessible can speak to a lot of people. And I like that. I don't want, I mean, I don't want Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie to take on all of the issues of the world. I want it to be a fun, moving blockbuster that can maybe get some like young girls who haven't had to encounter some of this stuff yet to be aware of it. Um, or maybe, I mean, the other kind of cohort of women who I'm seeing kind of go to this movie and have reactions to it are sort of otherwise like apolitical women who sort of don't really think that much about things beyond themselves or think that their own issues are not that important, right? So that's what we're taught to do as women coming out of this and going, yeah, if a movie this big can talk about some of these issues in a very basic and non-threatening way. I feel like that's a net positive. I mean, non-threatening to anyone who isn't, you know, just Ben. But um, I think that's a net positive. No, I mean, both Barbie and I guess one of the closest analogs, Black Panther, were both these films that it wasn't just enough to be like, we're uh, filling a need and we're going to be as safe as possible. They were both very overtly political texts. I mean, this is overtly political in the sense of where there's a literal revolution <laughs> to reclaim after a coup. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, actually. and so, yeah, so it is, um, I, I find that wonderful and great. And it is such a, um, to have audiences be receptive to it. And the fact that Gerwig did it in a way that it's fun so that, you know, people they're dressed up in pink and going up, and then there's all of the, the getting photographed and the Barbie thing and and having fun. And I feel like that's what folks really wanted yes. in movies, other than lies, like having a fun time, yes. popcorn and whatever. And so this is a cool popcorn film that is about something. Um, and it's sort of hopes mm-hmm. he's like a testament to to for others and everything. Um, I mean, it carried Oppenheimer to some degree too. I mean, the Barbenheimer memes. I mean, I did do Barbenheimer. I did go to see Barbie and Oppenheimer. Um, and but I think that there are a lot of people who are just like, oh, this is like an event. This is like a summer event thing that we can do and be in community with each other. And I think there were a lot of people who might not have gone to see Oppenheimer. I mean, I have to be honest with you. I would have seen it anyway, just because um, I was curious about it. Um, but I don't know that I would have made a point. My friend and I went to see it opening weekend. I don't know that I would have made a point to see it on opening weekend. I might mm-hmm. have waited down the line, but I wanted to participate in this event. That it, But that Barbie is so big that I think... It, it 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 i think it lifted all boats no oh, absolutely um and based on the second weekend clearly whatever the back i mean you gotta be killing the just been that there's backlash could not impact that and that it i think it does kill these guys to think that there are things are bigger than them what they don't yes. like would be very popular and that's maybe that they are in the minority um in certain cases is devastating um 
I, I always feel sorry for people like that because it's just sort of like, well, you don't have to see it. I was a film critic for many years where it's like yeah. every I have to see every movie. I couldn't really pick and choose. And that mm-hmm. it can be, you know, uh, demoralizing after a while. But like someone like Shapiro and these guys, they choose to go out and see the stuff that's going to piss them off the most mm-hmm. and that's like why why are you in a professional parade reigning business is not something that is in is um interesting to me um mm-hmm. from your piece is there anything in your piece you would like to read to people or anything that that stands out yeah. because it's such a really cool statement of your own experience i would just think it would be great if folks Thank before you. we wind up they could hear a bit of it in your own voice Sure. So I'm going to scroll to a part, and this is something that I I think a lot of people have really um, loved about the movie. And um, I, I'm going to try to find it, but there's, so one of the issues that Margot Robbie's Barbie has is that she is stereotypical Barbie. That is literally what she is called. And at one point, you know, she's talking to America Ferrera, and this sort of catalyzes the amazing monologue that Mm -hmm. America Ferrera gives. Um, And she says, but I'm not enough. I'm not all of these interesting things. And and that really resonated with me, especially as someone coming out later in life, because I think there's this idea of there's a certain way to be queer or not be queer. And like that literally Barbie, Margot Robbie, you know, this, and there even Helen Mirren's voiceover goes, well, you know, you're going to have Margot Robbie of all people say these <laughs> lines. Um, it, the fact that this figure can have, you know, questions about her place in the world and her self-esteem and is she enough? I found that very moving. So I am going to read a few paragraphs um, of that and just, yeah. So this is like kind of toward, um, the end of the, like the middle of the piece. And so it's just talking about Barbie's journey. And so, and now I will begin. Barbie's initiation into the real world is catalyzed by the choice presented by weird Barbie, Kate McKinnon, out and proud in real life, the most queer coded Barbie. She is, after all, always in the splits, a possible allusion to a certain activity many a curious girl performed with two Barbies, <laughs> a pink heel and a Birkenstock, itself a tip of the beret to the Matrix, trans allegory extraordinaire. Queer women offered me my own moments of revelation. At an adult coloring party, a woman stroked my arm with a lingering, meaningful tenderness. Under her touch and the honeyed brightness of her eyes, the stalks of my deadened nerves attained new life and color. Crackling with a sudden awareness of my body that delighted and excited and terrified me in a delectable way, I was so discombobulated, I missed my exit home. A sensation I'd heard my friends describe as desire. Once I knew it, I couldn't ignore it. My question is the question that will also haunt Barbie once she meets Gloria America Ferreira, the woman who's been playing with her in a peak of nostalgia. Gloria's memories, sumptuous with the ache of longing, full of the grit and luminosity that is human emotion, most of all, love, are not about dying. 
confronted with the fullness of the world, the rot and ripeness of it, Barbie's question is whether to consider living in a world that will never fully accept her. Barbie's exposure to the real world is fraught with menace, from ass grabbers to fumbling male executives who cloak their stranglehold over corporate power with a tapestry of daughters and mothers and aunts and a woman CEO once decades earlier. In tandem with the jingoism of everyday patriarchy, Barbie also invokes the ire of glorious teen daughter, Sasha, played by Ariana Greenblatt, who dresses her down as a vapid fool, only good for upholding fascist beauty standards. And I'm gonna skip a little bit down. Choosing to live authentically doesn't limit, liberate us from insecurity. In one of the movie's most poignant sequences, an overwhelmed and, in, and humiliated Barbie weeps to Gloria that even in Barbie land, she's not special. I'm not smart enough to be interesting. I can't do brain surgery. I've never flown a plane. I'm not president. No one on the Supreme Court is me. I'm not good enough for anything. Gloria's response is a searing monologue about the impossibilities of being a woman trying to thrive in the invisible cracks, threading the facade of being ordinary, all extraordinary all the time, while somehow we're always doing it wrong. While this speech and the pain it is meant to soothe has resonated with so many women, it holds a unique pathos for me. Scared I'm too old, too awkward, too hopelessly uncool to truly be queer. If I only discover this elemental truth about myself so late in life and practically by accident, how could I not be doing it wrong? When Barbie is given the chance to resume her life in the dream house, not exactly as it was, but a peaceable facsimile, she's still drawn more to the potential of the real world with its kaleidoscope of feelings. The chance to know all the colors of life, not just pink, even though pink is beautiful. Barbie is aware of her own imperfections. She's anticipating the pain of being in a place steeped in unfairness in a body that will age and someday die. Still, she chooses to live, to feel. That's my excerpt. Wow, that's so great, Laura. Um, really great writing. And I think of my feeling, great art inspires those feelings, which because of your own gifts, you can articulate, but I feel like everyone is having that from this yeah. summer blockbuster popcorn film. And that's I one of the, that's as a writer myself, that's the greatest thing you could ever do is to inspire feeling like that and those thoughts. And again, from the love of Barbie that's in this, you know, someone who loves superhero comics, the best ones are the ones that are, oh, here's this, here's where you get, you're someone who was into this. So here's this note to this and here's note to this. And it's all through Barbie, even to the idea of where you can hang that entire monologue that you'd mentioned on the idea that this is true. There were stereotypical Barbie, yeah. she was the bomb. And they were like, okay, well, we're gonna do these things so here's president barbie and here's fighter barbie and then like oh yeah it is like okay well plain barbie as a certain point has to feel like okay well what's my thing who, what, am, I? What, who am i i'm not any of those things i'm just a stereotypical barbie and arguably those other barbies existed because i wasn't enough it was always an answer right to your you're not 
and this is obviously not to to criticize the the feminist backlash to to Barbie and, and certainly legitimate, but there was a sense of your like like Gloria's daughter, you are all these things. I'm gonna unload on you in a way that she might not have if it had been President Barbie or writer Barbie in the real world. Yep. It was like, no, you're steer stereotypical Barbie, you're useless. And I love the idea of like essentially making her the main character is both true to the idea that she is Barbie, but also the underdog. Yeah. And it's and it's, and it's brilliant. And I think um, you know, even without the lamp shading that she stole Margot Robbie, she's still someone who we can all relate to of not being good at to being sort of the one who yes. doesn't have I don't have a thing. I'm just, you know, me. Um and so that's such a, it's one of those things I think it will connect for the world, uh, you know, regrettably much like uh, the Wonka, we will not, it won't just be allowed to be its own thing. We have to accept I it. But. <laughs> I know, I mean, and it's, and I just want to say one thing too, is it's like, I mean, Ryan Gosling is like un- deservedly getting his praises. And I think he is really kind of excavating some things from his like, you know, Disney channel days here, but mm-hmm. like, I think that universality that you were just talking about so poignantly, if you don't have a performer with the warmth and depth of Margot Robbie, like this does not work. Like she's she's brilliant. It's a tough role. I mean, getting goes back. I think it's even beyond that. It's just because he's a man and he's getting the attention. I think villains always do. Again, I mentioned Heath Ledger, um, Michael B. Jordan and, uh, and, um, Black Panther, even though Chadwick Boseman's T'Challa is so necessary of carrying that film because we love villains, right? We love, I mean, look, I, I know the flashier my, parts. My beloved uh, mother Gothel, played by Donna Murthy, and uh, mm-hmm. Tangled is just, oh my God, I can just watch that for her. I mean, they, they chew the scenery, they're great, but um, everything hangs on. Margaret Robbie and her performance is amazing. I think worthy. I yeah. I would. It would pain me if most attention goes as great as Gosling and America Ferrara are to those two characters specifically, and that she's just Barbie because she's. I think it all hangs on her, and she's so funny. There's like moments like the "Hey Barbie" scene where she's kind of like the just the little things she does with her mm-hmm. eyes, the way she's kind of like you're very brave, Candace. Something the way she delivers it is just oh, yeah. it's so funny she's so funny consistently so um she's always i'm so glad she's gotten what she's deserved i mean i mean she's a great harvey quinn she's a great and everything oh, she's God. Been in. but um, this I think she deserves to be to have a film that's going to be like in a top five of everything is is well worth it um she is yeah and if i if she also has a great line delivery because the Sasha calls her a fascist at one point and she's like, but I don't make the trains run on time. And it's so sincere. <laughs> it's just uh, and I and I, I don't want to steer over, but I also say if people like love Margot Robbie, people slept on this movie last year. Everyone like loved to hate it, but Babylon is really great. She's great in it, and um, there is a very sapphic it's not even subtext it is full-on text in it and so it's um and it's a 
yeah, Margot Robbie in another character, and it's just really beautifully done. Babylon, she's great in it, and nobody appreciated it. And I am Babylon Hive, so I must represent. Oh yes, that's I I. So I remember that came out and folks were worried about her career because it did well. And I'm so glad again that it is well. And I hope it does get people to look at that. because She's also great in that. She is um, really, really talented, I think. And this film shows it. And she was steering the ship from what I read in certain ways as a produ- one of the producers. And, and um, I think along with Gerwig deserves so much credit for making sure this is such a well done piece of art frankly so um thank you for for coming on and talking about this film with me and your specifically your article which is great laura bogart uh you can find her many places at the laura bogart but uh this day magazine article day magazine's online publication definitely needs your support it's woman led woman driven and uh really please uh go donate help this allows these types of voices and this type of piece to get out there um, when it might otherwise not um, go pick up uh, Laura's book. Um, all of the information will be down in the uh, show notes. Uh, Laura offer of don't, you know, I love you. And um, thank you again for uh, joining us. We'll catch you next time. Take care. This has been the play typer guy with your host, Stephen Robinson. Thanks for listening. Send your thoughts and feedback to ser1840 at gmail.com. Please leave a review and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Playtyper Guy. We'd also love it if you'd join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Stephen Robinson. Thanks and see you next time. The Playtyper Guy is a K-Taser production. Copyright 2023.